Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. This is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you today once again from our at-home studio, but we're not going to be at home for much longer because Labor Day weekend is upcoming, and then all of you young'uns will go back to work, <laughs> and we will hit the road. Ooh, we wait for the the nice fall weather and the uh, empty highways so that we can go out and do our thing with the RVs. So we are doing you all a big favor because we are leaving the roads to you this weekend. We're not anti-family. We just stay out of your way (laughs) until you go away and stay out of our way. Yes, that's our general philosophy. You stay out of our way and we will then populate Florida when (laughs) when it needs to be populated. With all the other geezers. Yep. So after Labor Day, we're going to do one final shakedown trip to the Indiana Dunes, which is a short drive from our house, do a few more home enhancement projects, and try to figure out where we're going to stow everything away, because Ooh, after that, problem. it'll be time to winterize, because we are going to England. Yes, towards the end of the month, September. So, um, so this is the podcast for September 2014, and we are getting ready, as she says, to head off to England. But you know, I want to say that we don't do as much news in our podcast as we usually as we used to. Because, because we are too busy talking about ourselves? No, because no, I think it's because we have so many other avenues in which to share information with our. With our because reader. of the Google Plus page? Because of the Google Plus page. Mm-hmm. I've been having a lot of fun there. Yeah. We've been putting up a lot of pictures. And I try to post uh, once in a while at least. And we hope that you will be posting up there. T- we're over almost up to 200. And hopefully by the time that this podcast is finished, we will be at 200 uh, followers. Awesome and amazing. Yeah, awesome and amazing. We are <laughs> constantly amazed at the uh, response from listeners. So we appreciate hearing from you. And, of course, you can always contact us by going to the rvnavigator.com website uh, where we put up links. And, I, you know, I've been putting up links there that we don't talk about in the website. So if you want to hear, and I've got several today that I'm going to be putting up to, we get tired of talking, so we just kind of, <gasps> we'll put it up on the website. And I do. So that if you want to hear see more links, if you want to hear more about what's going on with the RV Navigators, then take a look at the Google Plus page. Of course, you can find a link to that on the RV Navigator website. And take a look at the page for each of our podcasts, and that page will have uh, additional links. Good stuff for you to look at because the RV world is dynamic. Even though we're very excited about our RV and travel plans, we are not so happy about the fact that our older motorhome is still within our possession. And we've got it (laughs) listed on the um, RV websites that we use to do our shopping, and we know that we have to be patient, and we're trying hard to be patient, although I'm not very good at that. (laughs) Um, Has it sold yet? Has it sold yet? One thing that has really dismayed me is the number of contacts Ken has had oh, from what I would call scammers. internet shysters. Yeah, yeah, we put it up on uh, Craigslist, an RV Trader, an RVT, and as well as uh, the IRV2 site. 
We've been hopeful that we would be getting some contacts, but very little. And when I do get a phone call, it's from some scammer who wants to help me sell it for money. So I've been kind of put off by that. So we're mentioning this not because we want you to feel sorry for us, but, Although that would but be nice. if you go online to sell your rig, yes. uh, you want to watch out for these guys because they're p- trying to prey on us, and we're very wary. But we would like to sell our motorhome. Yes, we would. <laughs> so we are vulnerable, too. So on to happier thoughts. Ah, yes. We will be at a campground near you uh, before heading off to Great Britain. But, you know, last month we were just about to go to the Oshkosh Air Show. Which, which was an amazing experience that wow. we can hardly recommend to you. Even yes. those of you who don't live a few hours away from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, as we do. We as a whole like to do world-class events, but we often don't know what events are world-class because, you know, they represent the best of everything that that uh, particular activity has to offer. And because we're old and we've gone to many (laughs) world-class events, we're getting pretty hard to impress in our old age. So when we say that it blew our socks off, this was very cool. And it is extremely RV-friendly, which fact, is also fabulous. With an RV is the best way to see the air show and because Oshkosh is yeah. a small town that doesn't have many motels, and they fill up lickety-split during the air show, which has, we were told, 10,000 airplanes there. And from what that we they fly in for this event. From what we saw, we could easily believe that number. Easily. Um, But what made it so nice with the camping is that you really didn't need a reservation. They have huge, flat, grassy fields that they have kind of (laughs) marked out um, lanes in so that you know where to park. It's not just helter-skelter. We were kind of worried that once we parked there, we wouldn't be able to get out again. But it was very well organized. And if you are coming with something like a tent, which many of the pilots did because they don't have room to bring an RV with them, uh, they had shower houses. They had a wonderful... for everybody everybody to use. So the Oshkosh Airport is a fairly large facility. The airport itself is not that big, has two crossing runways. And then the land surrounding it, they seem to have bought the EAA, which is the Experimental Aircraft Association, seems to really run the whole airport. And they have bought huge amounts of land around the actual airport itself. And this annual event, and this is... Been going for 40 years. And it is just an annual event. It's one week starts on monday and ends on sunday and it is massive <laughs> there were they said over 4000 rvers 4000 rv units and we were just one among them but camping most of them camping boondock they do have a few sites that are hookups of some sort some with various numbers of hookups but the, doing it the boondock way is by far the most common. Uh, some pet areas, some with 24-hour generator, some with just a 12-hour generator. So you can choose how you want to, to visit. And then, of course, there is the air show. So there's this kind of peripheral show of all of the RV stuff and then the actual air show itself. I think the name, the name Experimental Aircraft Association was misleading to me because uh-huh. it didn't feel very experimental, well, although that no. is a facet of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a huge section of planes built before <laughs> we were born uh, that people had <laughs> spiffed up and were competing with another one another for which one looked the best or had been the best restoration job. We know nothing about aircraft. We had never. We were not members of the EAA prior to this event. 
government, and we have never really flown anything. You know, we don't do small planes, so we know nothing about these planes. But the pageantry and the excitement of all the people there and the access that you have, really, it makes it a special event. Most of the workers at the air show are Our volunteers, volunteers yeah. and were camped right alongside us. Many of them had come there for many years, and even though there were so many people there, they obviously had learned from past years, and we rarely stood in line. There were food vendors on site uh, that was it was easy to get something to eat during the day, and we had so much to do every day right, that right. we were so glad we were staying on site. Where That's we didn't the only have way to, to do it. Drive for an hour or two to a motel. Uh, that would have been a real negative in terms of seeing everything that the air show had to offer. If you are interested in aviation, there were a million vendors there that were aviation-oriented, but there was also a section for people like, world. people like us Good uh, Sam. with vendors for things that we might want to buy. Uh, there were many sessions and seminars where you could learn how to do various things in the aviation field, which didn't interest us at all. Um, but th many of the other things that we saw were very interesting to us. There was a, uh, an area where they had started with a pile of airplane parts on Saturday, and by the end of the show, they told us that it would have been assembled into a, an airplane. And we left midweek, and you could definitely see all the progress that they had made and that this was probably an achievable goal. Very exciting. So basically what happens is is that you go to the air, drive to Oshkosh, Wisconsin, which is in the central part of Wisconsin. And we did have quite an adventure getting there because our new RV has a weather radio built in. <laughs> We're driving down the, down the expressway, and all of a sudden the weather radio kicks in and says, there danger, are danger, danger. danger. <laughs> you know how they do. And it knew right where we were. So we actually pulled off to the side of the road and sat there while the thunderstorm went by. Because with uh, your cell phone and stuff, you can see exactly where the thunderstorm was. So, and they were talking about hail and stuff. And I thought, oh no, oh, they're brand going, new oh, windows. But, no. but well, no. so we watched the storm go by a little bit further north, and it didn't even make it to Oshkosh. So we drove up to Oshkosh. We had made a reservation for camping. But as Martha just said, that's not really necessary. You, they have uh, five or six lanes, <laughs> five or six lanes. And we got there the day before the show. So we went on Sunday and it opened on Monday. And we pulled up. We showed them our reservation. And we had prepaid. And so we were very quick to get through. And we said, okay, so where do we camp? Wherever you want. Wherever you want. <laughs> It was kind of a strange sort of. There are no numbers. There's no. They have streets, but they're all kind of uh, gravel and and dirt. So we just drove for a while and found a, a, a nice campground. And the first place we camped, we parked and we're setting up. And the guy comes over and says, uh, "This is the emergency landing area for the ultralights. <laughs> for the ultralights." You don't want to stay here. <laughs> well, I didn't know. It was a nice open area. <laughs> I was no starting wonder. a new area. No uh, so then we moved and found a nice spot next to the emergency landing area for the ultralights and uh, set up camp. Now, this was, uh, as we found out later, a good mile and a half from the actual entrance. But it was all interior and all uh, under on control. Site. On site, under control. And there were lots more people who were going to have to park further away at, later on in the week. So we hit our bikes along with us.
with us. Which but they was have, nice. Which was very nice. But, but they, they also had have good nice, shuttle bus system. Very good shuttle bus system and that comes uh, and makes stops, regular stops, all the way up and down the campground. And so there were thousands of people there already. Uh, I would say more than three-quarters of the people who were ultimately in attendance were there at that time, which is a surprise to us. So we uh, spent the first day, and it was interesting because the first day, because it wasn't open, you could drive around the airport. And so we drove in places that later on in the week we didn't know, but we weren't going to be able to uh, to visit in the car. So we kind of got the lay of the land with the car and uh, came back and, you know, because it was boondocking, this is another fun thing because we were testing out our four days' worth of boondocking in our motorhome to see how it would uh, perform because uh, we have made some substantial upgrades to it and we wanted to make sure that everything was working perfectly. And so anyway, so the air show, the next day we get up and we ride our bikes down to the end. <laughs> If you could believe this, there was almost no place to park our bicycles. Because everybody else had brought their bikes. <laughs> everybody had, I mean, there were thousands of bicycles because everybody, I guess, uses that as transportation. Uh, the, the, the shuttle bus system may be popular, but they were expecting 400,000 people. So, I mean, that's a lot of people. And the advantage, one of the big advantages is, is that uh, as you, if you drive in, you can't use your bicycle. Anyway, so we parked as close to the gate as we could get with our bikes and walked uh, because they will not allow bicycles or motorcycles or anything inside the actual grounds to the park to the venue and so we got the program and they have a couple of hundred sessions during each day oh the day before we went to an interesting uh, evening session presentation right two people giving an inspirational talk relating to uh Flight. He was a military, a military guy pilot who, who, had who a, bailed out of a plane at 800 miles an much hour, much faster, <laughs> much higher than it was before. Anyway, it was a thrilling story, yeah. and this was just part of the of the entertainment. So, twenty five dollars or twenty six dollars a day gets you entrance into the park per person, and we had prepaid for that also. So we had our wristbands, which all yeah, they they are just very well organized, and everything worked uh, perfectly, and everybody's in a good mood, and thousands of people pour in. But the place is huge, and then there are, there are, there are literally thousands of airplanes that are around. And now some of the airplanes are just people coming in for transportation and staying there with tents under the wings and stuff like that. And other ones are showpieces. Some of them are high-performance aircraft. So we walked out, and, oh, you know, as a photographer, whew, I took along my 8mm up to a 500mm, and I used all the lenses and, and took hundreds of pictures uh, of all the color because these planes are just, well, you can get so close to them. And the owners are all standing there very proud and will, are we're very willing to tell you the story behind the plane and what they've done to it and how it's customized. Even to a novice like me who has no idea what, I, what I'm talking about, I ask... <laughs> Why is it painted red or something silly like that? And they go into this long story about how they found the red paint. But, you know, that's all very interesting. And to have a chance to talk to people and get up close to the hardware is just very exciting. 
If you look at a map of, Osh- of Oshkosh, it's on Lake Winnebago, uh-huh. which is a fairly large freshwater lake in Wisconsin. And associated with the air show, we had to take a little shuttle bus to the seaplane yes. harbor, yes. which was another kind of plane that was very fun to see. Um, as you might imagine, a lot of these folks work in Alaska at least part of the year. And another <laughs> area where the Alaska bush pilots shown was the who can take off and land in the shortest <laughs> amount of runway contest, which was amazing very, as very well. Interesting, yes. So we would do that in the morning, and then in the afternoon, starting at 2.30, they have an air show, which is very extensive. Some of them were military planes. Some of them were they had mock uh, battles with planes, and they would have formation flying, and then they would have stunt flying and just all sorts of helicopters. And So the really nice thing about that was is that it's every afternoon from 2 to, five, two to 6, and that means that as a photographer, you have plenty of time to take all the pictures you want. <laughs> and there were tons of, uh, there's lots of area. So once again, you can get as close as you could get to an aerial show. We've been, uh, done the Chicago air show, and you know, you're behind barriers, you're millions of people there. You can't see, you can't get close, you can't get uh, with your camera. So I had my tripod and my long lens, and and I could just sit back and take as many pictures as I want to because everything was so nice and close, which is uh, really a a great experience. So once again, uh, we got some fabulous pictures because we were right on the airfield of the air shows. And uh, the big planes, the little planes, everybody taking off and landing. And at any time, you could watch that sort of activity. And we were listening to the air traffic control so that uh, it was really a fun experience. Twice during that week, they also have a night aviation show. And when we first heard about it, we thought, what are you going to see at night when it's dark? <laughs> but, uh, but, oh, it was awesome and amazing. Um, the planes flew in formations so that their headlights kind of all merged together, and you felt like one giant plane was invading. Well, and they had lots of extra a, lights. A flock uh, of them. Right. And who knew that you can shoot fireworks oh, off of awesome. airplanes, which was sounding like a dangerous proposition, but very dramatic. And of course, during the day when they would use colored smoke to show the trail of where the plane had been, at night they shot out sparks, yes. which also seems very dangerous. But you've got great video of that as well. And then we went over to the to the warbird section. <laughs> I can't imagine me or any person owning a jet, or, you know, jet fighter. But there were there, and of course, World War II uh, prop planes were there, and they did formation flying, and and you could go right over, touch the planes, talk to the people, and they had kind of a, a military reenactment camp there, so that people were there in uniform and stuff. It was just. <laughs> A pretty much of an amazing experience. And then, as she said, the vendors were selling all sorts of new planes. And I never even really thought about this, where you go to buy a new plane. But they were there in force with their air-conditioned tents and their displays. And, of course, people like Garmin and all the, the people with with uh, instrumentation and far beyond what we could comprehend. And they also had an evening entertainment which was also very nice. We, we went saw to, Kenny Loggins one we night. We saw Kenny Loggins one night, and they had uh, concert entertainment every night, and this was all part of the of the ticket. So 
This is a world-class event. And I should also mention, if you are not living in the Midwest as we do, that a number of the RV companies that do caravans and rallies Mm -hmm. um, have trips that are connected with the Oshkosh show, which would bring you to Wisconsin and give you an opportunity to see some of the other fun things that the state has to offer. So that would be another way to come and go to the air show if you don't want to just drive up there and boondock the way we did. Yeah, but remember that it cost us $25 a night for camping, right. as long as you don't mind boondocking. Right. And the caravan would be more, much more expensive. And, and they may be featured taking you to the Oshkosh Air Museum which is right on the campus and you can easily get to on the shuttle bus anyway. So uh, we didn't do that this time because we'd already done it on a previous visit. But the fabulous museum there, you can easily spend, well, we spent four days. You can didn't easy, see it all. didn't see it all. And I felt kind of bad about leaving, but I realized that we can come back sometime. But if you're coming for the one and only time, you could easily spend a week and not... And not my and emphasis, not be interested in aviation. <laughs> of course, we had perfect weather. Yeah, that helps. I mean, the weather was really nice. It was uh, low humidity and mid-70s and sunny. So that was a, a huge plus. If you had to stay, spend a lot of time cooped up in your RV or if it was very hot, which it could be, that could be a problem. But they had a dump station, a portable dump station and water, so that that was easy to have access to. So going and boondocking is not really too much of a problem if you have a a rig that's uh, set up for that. But there were lots of people tenting. And they had, as she said, the shower facilities and they had it. I mean... Everything you needed. You didn't have to I would say that probably 25% of the people were in tents. Yeah. I mean, I, we were surprised at how many people, and little rigs and big rigs and motorcyclists. And then all the people in the in the planes, of course, they had no facilities whatsoever, so they had to have nice uh, facilities for that. And all this is all for one week a year. It's just, I don't know, an incredible event. Now, so we've done a lot of world-class events, and this is certainly one of the most memorable, I think, so... I was. We're spending a lot of time talking about it, but I think it's. We think you should go. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, so, as far as our rig performed, though, I was very happy with our rig, in that the eight batteries have were kept charged, and we only had to run the generator two or three hours a day, which was amazing, because with our other one, we would run it five or six hours a day, and the three solar panels did a good job. It was nice and sunny, and uh, our rig performed very well, being an all-electric coach. Of course, we didn't do a lot of cooking, but we did, we didn't go off-site, though. No, we cooked. We only ate one meal on, on site. The outside of the rig, so so you, we it, cooked and we watched all the TV and did you know did our normal life. our normal lives. So we're very happy with the uh, all electric coach, and I think it's going to be a definite. Are you eating your words? As we speak, maybe. Well, you know that's what experience does for you, and that's why we go to these shows, and that's why we do these things on behalf of our listeners, so that they don't have to. Well, when we're thinking about experience, that Mm. makes me think of our good friend who has suddenly and impetuously perhaps decided to plunge into the (laughs) RV world, having never camped a day of his life. So another fabulous day was spent by me down at the Elkhart, Indiana RV show. Now, I was a little surprised at how big it was, but uh, we drove down to the Elkhart RV show because he has suddenly become very interested in buying an RV, and it's fun to talk to a novice and to hear the perspective and to somebody who literally has never spent a night in an RV, and he's decided that he's going to buy a small 
Winnebago. Winnebago Via Vista. Vista. Something. Uh, it's kind of a mini Class A, 25 feet long, and uh, built on the Sprinter chassis with the Mercedes diesel engine. Well, we have spent a long time talking about these things, but... Uh, we hope he likes it. We hope he likes it, right, because I, I, it's hard to... I, it's I, this is not the way I would start RVing. I guess is what I would say. You know, I would start off with something and just see if I like it. But um, you got to plunge in. You got to plunge in someplace. And so we've been answering a lot of novice questions, uh, and it's been fun hearing the questions and uh, talking about you know why we do what we do. <laughs> so it kind of codifies exactly why we do what we do. And how we've made the decisions and yeah. conclusions that we've made, right. which as we just were saying can be subject to change at times. <laughs> yeah, because technology changes and things change. Uh but he's going to be very excited and we'll we'll try to keep you posted. The all card I have to interview him sometime after yes, he gets after, going. Yeah. We but, can see how good a job you did think, preparing him for the RV world. Yeah, well and it's hard to state an opinion and not state it as fact. I try as hard as I can on, on the podcast. This is the way we do it and that's not necessarily the way everybody has to do it. So we'll be seeing how he does it and see if it's a little bit different. So he's buying a brand new Class A for he and his dog and they're going to travel and he's buying a motorcycle because he doesn't want a tow. And I would be interested to hear if anybody has experience with that. We can't give him any ideas We've about that. We've never done that. But he's buying a small motorcycle, and he's never ridden a motorcycle either. So he's but he's ta- taking lessons. He's taking the mandatory, because in Illinois you have to have a license, a special license to ride a motorcycle. So he's, he's taking the uh, driver safety course here in September, and then his motorhome is supposed to be built and arrive from Winnebago in early early October. I thought it was, well, anyway, sometime in October, I believe. Uh, So kind of at the tail end of our It's taking about eight to ten weeks uh, for them to build his RV. Which is another sign that the industry is doing well. Um, They didn't just have one to hand him immediately. Yes, and we were unable to find something that he really wanted on. On the lot. Well, not on the lot, uh, but on on anybody's lot. We recommended that he buy full-body paint which I think is one of the biggest options you can you can spend, and I hope that that's a good decision. I think it's, it'll be, it makes it look much nicer, and I think that in the long run it'll stay nicer. So he's going to be storing it uh, where we store ours for about $60 a month. I don't know what you pay, but that's pretty reasonable in this area to store your motorhome. And hopefully he'll be going with us on a couple of trips as we head down to Florida in the wintertime because uh, that's where you want to have an RV. So it'll be interesting to see uh, a much smaller RV and how livable it is for one person. And a dog. Of course, you've got to have a dog. But the, RV, the Elkhart RV show had lots of models on display, and they apparently sold about 85 units while we were there, which was impressive, And but no vendors or anything. So if you're looking for a specific RV, not many motorhomes, but... It was interesting, though, that we were able to spend nearly the whole day looking at Class Bs, the Pleasure Ways and the Road Techs, and these small Winnebago 
the citations. Uh, so all of those we were looking at, we spent the whole day looking because he had a lot of questions. Because it was also new to him. You know, do you want an on-demand water or do you want a water heater? Do you need a generator? Why were you surprised that the the show had so many vehicles there? Elkhart is the center of the RV universe. Yeah, but they don't have any dealers. And I think that that's an interesting factor, that uh, people don't go to Elkhart to buy RVs as a rule. Even though that's where they're made. Yeah. It's been our experience that there are not many RV dealers there. There's not even a camping world anymore. That's so right. if that's any any. Any sign of anything? He didn't like the Class Cs, and I can understand why. You know, that sitting in the, and I hope I'm not trying to offend anybody, but sitting in, in the cab with the the bed over the top. And, of course, he wasn't interested in sleeping area. This one had, as an option, has the bed that comes down over the driver's seat. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't get that. Yeah. But that's cool that's for a Class cool. A to have that. Uh, we'll probably have some pictures of it in the not-too-distant future. So our inverter worked very well. The hybrid inverter is very cool. Even, uh, when, even with the generator, you can run all your stuff, and it just kicks in and does its hybrid thing. So that's that's been a good thing. So... Yeah, I think my goal is to have the living experience and the RV be as close to a motorhome-like yeah. experience right. as and possible. This is not always since the case. we spend a lot of time in the motorhome and we're old and inflexible. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's our whole goal is yeah. to make it exactly as as it is at home, which is and, why and we. As you've heard me complain in other months, I don't like to be worrying about whether I have enough power to, to do coffee and make spaghetti at the same time. And this way I don't have to worry about it. And that makes me happy. <laughs> makes, her, makes her very happy. And I, I had a kind of an interesting little gizmo that I bought, a nanocopter. So it's a quadcopter that's about the size of your hand. You could use it to pollinate flowers. It's Ooh, so small. that'd be way cool. <laughs> It's, it's more difficult to fly than my Phantom, but it is a lot of fun, and it has a, a penny-sized battery in it, so it only lasts about less than 10 minutes. But if you have uh, interest in uh, a copter, don't get one with the, with the IR. Be sure that you get it with a uh, 2.3 gigahertz wireless uh, connection. And this one flies very nicely, costs 30 bucks, and you can... Find it on Amazon quite easily, a nanocopter. So Why would anybody want this? Just for fun. It's just a nice little toy. Can't fly it outdoors because of the Scare your dog. Scare your dog. But it has very cool lights, so in the middle of the night you can fly it around and really have a, a nice show. Oh, I just had a good time with it anyway. So dash cams. Now, I've been testing out dash cams. Does it, do you guys have dash cams? Do you use a dash cam? Why would I want one? Um... Because it's cool. Okay. <laughs> because it keeps a record of where you go and and where you've been. That's why I blog. Yeah, but this keeps it much more. No, I'm never going to justify this. <laughs> well, so I've been testing out. Inquiring it. minds want to know. Uh, well, I don't think they're quite ready for prime time, but it, it is kind of fun to have a record in kind of a time-lapse mode so that you can see where you've been. And So you aim it out the front window, and it takes pictures. Let it rip. Let it rip. I found the ones for cars uh, frequently don't work in motorhomes. Why? 
because they're they're designed to be mounted on a slanted dash or a slanted window. And we're not slanted. And we're not slanted enough. Mm -hmm. So you do have to be a little careful about that. I would like to hear from some people who have tried dash cams, and I think they're going to become super popular. And, of course, you've seen the videos of people in other countries, especially Russia, Russia, where (laughs) it records accidents and stuff. And that's obviously what it's for, but I think it has more fun uses than that. I'm not planning on having an accident. Of course not, but you never know when it's going to happen. And this will be a way to record exactly what did happen. Mm. Did your husband make the big mistake that he didn't think he should make? I would be interested in hearing from you guys, but my experiences have, and I'll probably have more about this a little bit later on. We updated our DirecTV. This is actually has a lot of applic- applicability to our motorhome. Even though we did it in our home. Right. We have uh, put a new TV in our bedroom, and I didn't want to have to run wires. I hate wires. Right. So we have, uh, for DirecTV, and I assume that other systems have this also, but because we have DirecTV, then we, everybody knows that we take our box, our DVR, and we move it into the motorhome when we are on the road. So we have DirecTV 12 months a year, and we use it uh, in either place, depending on where we happen to be. Uh, prior to this, I used to have three DVRs. <laughs> and they were basically standalone units. Now I have one Genie DirecTV recorder. It records up to six channels at a time, or maybe four, and it is interactive with with the other devices. Maybe we need to put more people in our family to watch all this stuff. Yeah, it could be. So what we did recently, though, um, I got rid of the other two boxes, and so now we can watch anything on any TV. Probably you guys have done this a long time ago, and you're just saying, what is he talking about? He's, Big yeah, deal. he's supposed to be a techie guy, and here he is. He's just doing this now. But... Bottom line is, is that we did this wirelessly now, and this is something that's only been available fairly recently. So we now have a TV in the bedroom that's connected up with a Genie Go box. It's called a wireless Genie Mini. It hooks up wirelessly, and it control. It's very cool because it's two way, and it controls the DVR in the other room. I can record. I can watch anything on that. So now, wherever we are, we can watch. Uh, any program on any TV and record from that TV. And you love it. Yes. And we'll love it in the and not only that, home, too. And not only that, but it has no wires. I love that, too. Just need to plug it into the wall. We're going to take the master box, the master DVR, in the RV, as we have before. <clears throat> and then I've had real trouble connecting up to the back TV in the bedroom. So I'm going to take the wireless device, put it back there in the bedroom, and we will then have the back TV connected up to the DVR. Wirelessly as well. Wirelessly as well. So we're going to have cheering, great cheers from the bedroom. Uh, Is that what I want to say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we always have cheers from the bedroom. Anyway... Uh, not only that, but I bought uh, also got right along with this when the guy was out. I bought the Genie Go Mobile DVR, which means this is very, also very cool. That not only can I watch everything on my Genie box, uh, my Master box, any place on the web, but I can also record it and take it with me when I don't have good internet. So we're planning on taking most of the hard drive that we have with us to Europe because I won't be able to watch it. 
this along with our Simple TV, and I've mentioned Simple TV before, the Simple TV is a very nice box because it allows me to broadcast TV from home on the web. It's not, it's not like a sling box, but this takes over-the-air signals and sends them all to any place that I want to watch it. As long as I have a decent internet connection. And in Japan, we were able to watch Chicago TV and see it pretty much as it, I can record it or I can watch it live. I think people are asking themselves why we travel if all we do is watch TV. We want to have a home-like experience. And we want to watch the weather from home. And the things we want to watch. And the Internet allows us to do that. When we have time to watch them. Right. And there are many times in the evening when it's dark, and certainly when we go to England that's going to be a problem, that it's going to get dark at 6 o'clock. And so what do you do in a strange city, in a strange land, in a small strange city? I don't think so. In London we're going to do that. We're going to spend a week in London where we will indeed be going to the theater every night. But, you know, you can't do that full time. No. And I think, you know, we're going to have some... And we'll be sailing back to the United States on a slow boat from Southampton to Oldsmobile. And we will have lots of downtime on the cruise so we can catch up on the TV. Twelve days at sea, ladies and gentlemen. And what will we be doing? Watching direct TV. But the cool part is we can't stream it. That's not cool. The cool part is that we can take the stuff on a hard drive. It won't cost anything. And it doesn't cost anything. And so this box, the, the Genie Mini, which is the wireless, costs the same as any other device. So it's $6 a month. Whereas the other one, the Genie Go Mobile DVR, is free once you buy the box, which was $100. So that service, I can put it on my hard drive and take it with me for free. Induction cooking. What about it? You bought pans. <laughs> is that very interesting? Well, I think people are very excited about this. Well, you know, we, we were very worried about uh, using our electric, and we didn't really use it much. Our electric, our electric burners. Work. You can only use the electric burners when too. the generator is on I or you plug in. But we had the generator on. Those of you who have been traveling with us for a while know that we kind of experimented with induction cooking last winter when we bought a very cheap burner, do I call it that, um, unit yeah. to try to see if we liked it. And it seemed to be something that was a good supplementary cooking source. You could use it outside. You could use it when you needed more burners than your RV had. And so we've bought a, a new better induction cooker that has a thermostat on it and a timer on it. And a bigger... Uh, the cheaper one I couldn't walk coil. away from because I could never get the heat to be at the right place. Either it was boiling over or not cooking at all. And since we made that commitment, we decided to buy some pots and pans that would work with the induction unit since nothing that I had in the RV already uh, was appropriate. And as some, have to be iron. As some of our listeners suggested, uh, we visited Ikea, which had, as I think, the best selection of pots and pans that would be appropriate for induction that I've seen. And sets for like $30. Yeah, very affordable. And then pans for 10 and you just can't, even at Walmart, you don't find them for that kind of money. You have to take a magnet and to see if they will stick to the bottom. So at this point, I feel like I'm still in transition with this. Mm -hmm. The other possibility is um, a, a nesting stack of induction cookware that 
takes up very little space. I think it was originally invented for marine use, mm -hmm. uh, but I like to have these things in my hand, and so far I haven't had the chance to do that. So I'm kind of doing a little bit of both. I have some regular pots and pans that I'll use on the electric burner that came with our motorhome, and then I have the induction pans that I can use with the induction unit, and all my bases are covered, I hope. Right, and these uh, induction ones, though, are stainless steel, which means they have no nonstick coating. But we've had that, we found that that's been... Seemed to be okay. Yeah, it seemed to be okay. It's a little bit of a surprise, because you think you need to have that uh, Teflon type of coating, but you don't. And I think that's good, because in our case, it chips off while it's... While we're while jiggling down, down the road. road. Even though I've got little foamy things in between our pots and pans, they still are chipped from, from traveling. So this might be better for our health as well. We'll see. So the next thing I have on my list here to talk about, boy, <laughs> we're not going to get to any news at all. No. But that's okay. I mentioned that I took my tripod to Oshkosh, and I have a nice carbon fiber tripod, which is very light, but it is too heavy for many suitcase trips. So I've been looking for something to work like a tripod, but be very light, uh, lighter than than even the lightest of tripods, because you want something that's that's steady. And I thought about a monopod for a long time, and I bought a monopod or two, and they just didn't do the job because they don't have legs. <laughs> do I want it all or what? Yes. So I now have a new monopod that has legs. Put out by a company called Trek Tech, T R E K T E C H. This company puts out a carbon fiber tripod, a monopod, but the bottom has legs that pop out. Now, this may seem strange, but it is true. And it only weighs 18, in 18 ounces, and it also works as a walking stick. So that uh, we have seen uh, walking sticks that have a screw on the top in order for you to screw your tripod into your tripod mount on your camera. That has uh, a number of problems. So this actually has a ball tripod head on the top that you can screw in if you need it. Or you can use it just as a monopod. Or you can use it as a tripod with legs. In many cases, this actually works better than having a tripod because the legs only go out to 18 inches. Uh, I think about when I was in the Calgary shooting the Calgary Stampede and I was couldn't get my tripod into these the rows of seats so I could use it easily. This would fit very nicely in that type of a setting. So this has a number of advantages. They have several models which you can take a look at so if this is something that bothers you then you might want to take a look at the trek tech monopod for yourself i haven't actually had much of a chance to use it but it will get used because we'll be taking it on our upcoming trips and because we're going to africa next year i especially am looking for something super light and 18 ounces sounds like it's pretty light and will be good we want to do uh, warn you about uh, something that uh, <laughs> was sent to us from shell oil this is could be really dangerous and i'll put this uh, whole warning up on, on the website but shell oil company recently issued a warning after three incidents in which mobile phones cell phones ignited fumes during fueling operations in the first case the phone was placed on the car's trunk lid during fueling it rang and the ensuing fire destroyed destroyed the car and the gasoline pump. In the second, an individual suffered severe burns to their face when fumes ignited as they answered a call while refueling their car. In the third, an individual suffered burns to the thigh and groin as fumes ignited when the phone, which was in their pocket, rang while they were fueling their car. 
and of course it could be your RV. And I think about uh, the propane and all sorts of other things. You should know that mobile phones can ignite fuel or fumes. Mobile phones that light up when switched on or when they ring release enough energy to provide a spark for ignition. Mobile phones should not be used in fueling stations or when refueling your lawnmower or boat, etc., or, in our case, RVs. Mobile phones should not be used or should be turned off around other materials that generate flammable or explosive fumes or dust. To sum it up, there are four rules for safe refueling. Turn off the engine, don't smoke, don't use your cell phone, leave it inside the vehicle, or turn it off. Don't re-enter enter your vehicle during the refueling. So these are. this is an important factor that you need to think about. <laughs> I never thought about blowing up my RV with a cell phone, but I guess it's possible. There, these are some cases where it has actually happened. Of course, we use diesel, so it doesn't really make any difference for us. Not in our cars. Because diesel doesn't have the fumes. So we have uh, uh, some mail from a listener. <laughs> 45 minutes into the podcast, we're just getting to the mail. Did you talk a lot? I don't think it was me. No, no, you're blaming it on me. Um, this is a, a nice email we received from Beth. And I've just been listening to w- w- more of the older podcasts, and you mentioned the sad demise of the Davy campground that has gone textile. Of course, that was the campground that was a nudist, nudist campground, campground, which we hadn't been to, but we mentioned it on our podcast. You also mentioned the Sunsport, which says it's in Lakahachi, Florida. But it's actually west of Palm Beach, just off of I-95. And anyway, my husband and I have camped there in the past, and it's a pretty nice campground. They have a restaurant, a sauna, pool, jacuzzi, volleyball court on the premises, all clothing optional. The pool, I think, is a ma- is mandatory nude. People just walk around with a towel to sit on. Not to wear, mind you, th- just to sit on. They do show some pictures on the website, but mostly backs of folks. Uh, it is a family-friendly park, so if that's your lifestyle, you can bring the, the kids. <coughs> yeah, right. When I was younger, I very much enjoyed natural camping. But as I've gotten older and more prone to skin cancer, it's not something that we do anymore. Yeah, I can understand that. There is another campground which I think is nicer because the people are nicer, though the campground has fewer amenities. The folks who live there year-round are much more friendly. It is in Fort Pierce. It is called Sunnier Palms. It also is a naturalist resort right off of I-95 in India Town. Again, just west, just west, but this time it's only a couple of miles off that, if that, off the highway. Anyway, doesn't sound like you guys are into this sort of thing, but hey, you might be surprised. I don't think I would be either, but I've always loved to skinny dip, and everyone is nude. It quickly becomes no big deal. So thanks for the podcast. Keep on listening, and we, for us, uh, you're right. We probably wouldn't be visiting that type of place. I believe in being kind to my fellow man. (laughs) And at this stage in my life, it would not be a kindness. So uh, thank you, Beth, for sending us uh, that update on the, and we hope that you uh, make it into the new episodes uh, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, we want to talk about a new book uh, called uh, the, Our, the Mobile Internet, and this book is um, written in a non-technical way for helping you to connect to the Internet while you're on the road. And it's brand new, just introduced in August of 2014. 
and it is a comprehensive guide to mobile, mobile Internet options for U.S.-based RVers. In this handbook, we help you access your Internet needs, set your expectations to be realistic, and explain your options and overview the, of the challenges of mobile connectivity. The book is written for non-technical Internet surfer to, to the high-tech geek striving to balance using everyday language and examples to explain complex topics while keeping things technically accurate. Also, you can best assemble a solution that is balanced between your desires and your budget. And I think Internet is one of those things that on the road just is a big problem. It's so important for everything you do these days. I think they kind of give short shrift to the satellite option that we have, but as they mentioned when I emailed them about this, he said that satellite Internet is dying, which is true, and it's hard to find new systems, so we may be on the... We're dinosaurs. (laughs) Yeah, but but satellite Internet offers some nice, nice advantages, and I would look for some satellite solutions if I was a new RVer and going to hit the road. Uh, also, we found a nice uh, blog and a guy who talks about lots of technology, uh, OutsideOurBubble.com. He gets uh, his internet while on the road and he talks about uh, and made a nice video about this. So you might want to take a look at uh, OutsideOurBubble.com. Oh, yeah. There are lots of things to talk about this month. We, we want to mention the new Rand RV GPS. Um, we saw part of this at the Numar Rally, and I've been using the 7725, which is brand new from Rand McNally, and it includes lots of new features, including tons of new POIs, as well as uh, lots of these these intersection maps, so that when you get off the interstate, you know exactly how the, the lane configuration is going to be. And, of course, the Rand McNally is very cool because it has the entire Good Sam campground book in it, so that finding campgrounds is actually very easy and they estimate toll costs now has lifetime maps <sighs> very cool it comes in two versions the 7725 which is the good sam version and the 7730 which is the Rand mcnally version both are the same but they have a different logo on the cover uh, as i said i've been using the 7725 and it's faster smaller brighter better screen very complete very complete but it doesn't have international maps well, you are camping in England. So to go to England, we had to buy a new Garmin. Sorry. So that we could buy the maps to go with it. So we, sp- But those will come down dr- dramatically in price. Good. They should. And, uh, you know, even the maps, I, last time I spent over $100 just for the English maps, and now I got the English maps for about 30 bucks. Rand also has a replacement for Streets and Trips. Which is also nice, you know. As I said, a lot of RVers like that a lot. A lot of RVers really use a lot of streets and trips, and streets and trips is going away as of uh, the end of this year. Microsoft, as I mentioned last month, is no longer going to support it, so there's going to be no new versions of streets and trips. So you might want to take a look at the Trip Maker from Rand McNally. Uh, This is an online version uh, of turn-by-turn directions and building trips, which you then can upload to your GPS, which will also be a nice feature. So I'll put links to those on our website for you to take a look at, and I guess everything else you're just going to have to look at on your own, because we are done for the month. And you're probably tired of listening to us. Yes. We will hopefully see you in a campground near us in the not-too-distant future, and we were very surprised to have a knock on the door and. <laughs> 
in uh, Oshkosh. Oh, yeah, and that's right. uh, I forgot his name. But, uh, a listener stopped by to say hello, and we were excited to see him. He checked you down by your GPS coordinates, too. Which is also staggering. Oh, he's a volunteer there. He was a volunteer, but I regularly put up our GPS coordinates on datastorm.com, so, and you can click on our webpage to see where we're located, because there were no sites, and we didn't have any sort of locating information that we could give you an address, but I did put the exact, I mean, he was... Uh, we found you. Because we no longer have the sign on the side of this new RV. That's right, we need a new we sign. We need a new sign. But he was able to track us down and find us, in this huge campground in Ashkosh, quite amazing, using the GPS coordinates that we had mounted on the website. <laughs> so, I guess you can find us if you want to. So, we're always happy to talk to our listeners, and we want to talk to you. So, leave us a message and come and visit us, and we will see you in a campground near us. Happy travels! Happy travels! Bye now. <laughs>